Hey, so in case you don't know, my name is Sam Donahue, and I work here at Wellspring as the Director of Neighborhood Ministries, um, and one of my duties is I get to work at, um, or I'm sorry, I get to live at the guest house, which is just right up the street. Um, we moved in, I say we because I think all of you are in this together. Um, so we moved in in August of 2014, and our goal at the guest house is to show and tell Jesus to the Wellspring and Edison neighborhood. Um, and how we do that is we meet families and kids, um, primarily at Edison, um, and then on our block, and we just do life with them and build relationships, and hopefully through the way that we interact with them, um, they are able to see and feel Jesus in that manner. Um, also, we do have like talks about Jesus, and they are well aware of who he is, um, and join us for church sometimes. Um, anyway, so we just really do life with kids. We have dinners at the house, um, go to their basketball games or football games, um, show up at lunch, do whatever we can to just support our kiddos um, and families as well. So a part of that, um, about three summers ago, we decided to start what we call the mission track portion of the internship. So Justin's going to start pushing pretty hard here about the internship that he does um, with college-age kids on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays. And that time is really just like they're reflecting on their self, on their story, um, and just learning about Jesus and who they are um, and before they go off into the world. So we offered um, this mission track portion of is what we call it, and that is on Mondays and Fridays. It's 10 hours a week. We do about three hours on Monday and then seven hours on Friday, um, and that's for kids who want to basically be on mission but just here in the States rather than going to a different country. Um, so on Mondays, we learn about like trauma and poverty, um, just things that I've learned over my four years being here. And then also, um, I try to cram my two years of grad school, um, into their brains as well. So I throw a lot of junk at them on Mondays and then we talk about that. Um, and then Fridays, if you remember our beautiful Miss Sheila who came two weeks ago and sang for us. We get to go down to Food for Kids and just love on them um, in a real, like, tangible way. Um, and it's just awesome to be on that corner. We have a party every single week um, on Fridays. So, and we picked Fridays because as a church, as Wellspring, we make the sandwiches for that day. So it's kind of just Sheila knows that Fridays are Wellspring's day. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of a quick overview. There's also, that's like the... 10 hours that are structured and there's things that are planned, but um, like any life that you have as well, um, things are thrown at us throughout the week as well of kids just coming over and eating rides or dinners and stuff like that. So the interns are around a lot and um, are just learning a lot throughout this time. But anyways, that's kind of my um, teacher role or look at that. But I wanted to invite one of my interns from this past summer. Her name is Kayla. She's just really awesome and dove in. Um, she worked on the weekends. So throughout the week, she was with us the whole time. She worked at a different job, sorry. Um, so she was there a lot outside of that 10 hours. So I just really wanted to hear her perspective. So if you guys will, she's a little nervous. So if you'll like pump her up right now. Hi guys, as Sam just said, I'm Kayla. Um, I got to live with her over the summer and three other roommates, which was crazy because we had dance parties like every night and I usually go to bed by nine, so that was definitely out of my element. Um, but growing up, I had always believed that I had to perform well to receive love um, in my relationships, which carried over into the way that I viewed God, um, causing me to feel guilt and shame in my shortcomings. 
So this led to questioning of if I truly deserved to receive love. And during the summer over the internship, the walls of this lie was really shattered just by being in a community. Um, and it reshaped how I viewed God's love for me, that he doesn't need me, yet he chooses me um, and calls me his own. So this freedom created in me a heart to truly love others and to be present with those around me. Um, so this year we had two internships, which was new. I was in the first year, and then there was a second year. The first year met in the mornings, and then we all had lunch together, and then the second year met in the evenings or the afternoons. Um, so some of the kids and I were waiting on the porch of Sam's house, the guest house, for the year two to be over, and this little guy named Andreas, who's about seven years old, um, he lives in the neighborhood. He was asking how many minutes until Jack got done with his internship, and I was like, well, we have about 45 minutes. And he was like, oh, I wish we only had zero minutes. I just want to be with him. So Andres just had this love for Jack, and he just had an eagerness to be with him. And that's not anything that Jack had done. It's just because he simply wanted to be in his presence. And um, that really helped me to see how our father looks at us, that he just delights in us as his children. Um, and then one of the, so on Fridays, we always, Mondays and Fridays, we always had talks with Sam. And one of the things she taught me this summer was the importance of our stories and how that can help people in walking in their own story. Um, so we looked a lot about trauma from our childhood and how that shaped us um, and how that still influences how we act today. So this gave me a perspective on how I behave and interact with others. And it also gave me the ability to see the kids and understand more of the reasons they act the way they do. Um, so I was able to be with them more and just be able to love them even though we all have our struggles. Um, and overall, the internship taught me how to be a part of a community that encourages, that loves, that worships together, and that rebukes one another. And I couldn't have asked for more. She's really sweet, and the kids just love her and Jack. Um, Jack is her boyfriend, fiance now. So um, I just wanted to share with you two that um, they, like, the kids and families become our family, um, and it's just, like, this amazing thing to see over the summer, and I always go through this little, um, I don't want to say depression, but definitely close to that in August when they all have to leave because it just, I get so close to them, and they're around me all the time, and then our college kids leave, and it's really, really sad for me, um, and, you know, the kids, too, because we've grown used to that, so, um, and I just wanted to, like, one of the examples is one of the interns from the summer, she's getting married today, and she invited the kids, so seven kids are going to go and get to experience this wedding um, of Aaron's, so, yeah, I just think that's really stinking cool that um, we're able to do that. Um, anywho, the other part, this is kind of the businessy part for you, um, so they meet 10 hours a week, and then we have the inter internship for nine weeks, um, so the interns are able to make $1,000 um, this summer when they um, do the mission track portion of the internship. Um, so that is why we do, at Advent, we like talk to you guys and try to raise money. Our goal, we usually have four um, interns, and that's if four apply and fit the gig. Um, so our goal is to raise $4,000 this Advent season to be able to um, pay them for their time, because I will let you know, um, it gets a little bit tiring, and definitely um, the extra money is helpful when you're doing life with people. Um, so, anywho, so that's that. And if you look right behind the sound booth, there is um, our, like, 
um, oh, what is that called? Display, sorry. And there's pictures of the kids and just some things that we did this summer, and that's where you would um, place your money. There's a card there, too, and you can put that in the offering box. So we just love you guys so much, and thank you for all your support of the guest house and just the prayers. We totally know that you're in this with us. So thanks. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, Sam and Kayla. The summer internship is pretty near and dear to my heart, so I thank you from the bottom of my heart for at least considering donating to that ministry this Advent season. Um, If you have been here at all the past couple weeks, you're probably aware that we are in the middle of a sermon series where we've been examining how Jesus is both fully the Son of God and the Son of Man. And last Sunday, Pastor Bob kind of kicked off the, uh, the first portion of Jesus being the Son of God. And he shared the story of how Gabriel the angel came to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and told her that she was going to give birth to a son. And not only would this be her son, but more importantly, he would be the son of the Most High, the Son of God. Um, Angels called him the Son of God. We know that God the Father himself called him his son when he was baptized by John the Baptist. And so today we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the proclamations of others, calling him the Son of God. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and get that out and open up to Matthew 8, 28 and 29. If you're using a pew Bible, it should be page 882. We're going to be looking at a couple different um, passages here. Matthew 8, starting in verse 28, says, When he, Jesus, arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Okay, so keep that in mind. Now turn over to the book of Mark. Chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, should be page um, 9 and 11. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 10. It says, For he, Jesus, had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Now these are two very fascinating passages of scriptures, and they're not the only ones like it in the New Testament. I just picked out two. Um, Two different encounters that Jesus had with demons. And when those demons encountered him, how did they address him? Who did they say that he was? All of them called him the Son of God because even demons, when they encounter the presence of the Almighty, they have no hesitation in addressing him uh, to his true identity, the Son of God. So keep that in mind. So demons. So open up your Bibles again. Just turn back to the book of Matthew. We're going to stay there. I'm going to keep you busy working those Bibles today. Two more passages. Matthew 14. Should be page 890, I believe. Matthew 14, 32, and 33. So this is the story of when Jesus 
walked on water. And kind of when they got back into the boat here. So verse 32, it says, When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat, his disciples, worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Okay, so one more passage. Stay in the book of Matthew. Go to chapter 27, just a few pages over. Page 907. This is the last passage. Now, this is quite different. This is the story of Jesus' death. He had just died, and this is the reaction of those who were witnesses to him being killed. So Matthew 27, verse 54, says, When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. So in this first passage of these last two that we just read, we see this is the story of Jesus walking on water. We know that Peter walked on water with him briefly before he started to doubt, and so when he started to doubt, he began to sink. And it says, when he got into the boat with his disciples, they started to worship him and called him the Son of God. And then the second story is, in many ways, quite opposite. These are not his disciples. These are Roman guards that were responsible for making sure Jesus was killed. They, pl- they played a part in his death. And even they themselves acknowledged that surely he was the Son of God. And what's interesting about all four of these accounts is that in every single one of them it's not Jesus but others who spoke his identity who called out his identity so in these four passages alone we see disciples over here we see people that helped him be killed and brutally murdered and and then we see even demons themselves on the other side and all of them proclaimed him to be the son of god and for Jesus, you know, it's, you know, it'd be one thing to kind of say yourself, hey, I'm the son of God, but it's quite another thing for people to notice that themselves and call them out in front of you and call that truth out in front of you. You know, Jesus could have, it's kind of stupid to think about, but he could have walked around to every crowd that he encountered and said, hey, so I'm like God's son, so you should probably bow down and worship me because I'm pretty important. That would be ridiculous. We know that he did not carry himself that way at all, even though he could have. Because as we've already discussed in one of Bob's sermons, the, t- the term that he mostly used for himself is son of man. And for the most part, he let other people call him the son of God. Now, I was kind of thinking about this concept in relation to our lives, trying to make a connection. And, you know, it's one thing for us to walk around and tell people, hey, I'm a changed person. I'm a different man than who I was two, three years ago. I'm much more kind, giving, generous, compassionate, whatever. Fill in the blank. We could go around and say those things to others all day, but in many ways the proof of the transformation is in what others notice about us, isn't it? What other people say that they see in us. When other people notice us and maybe some character changes We'll start hearing comments like, he's a changed man. She's a different woman than the girl that I knew back in 2015. And that's when you know significant change has taken place. You know, I can tell my wife every day, I'm a great husband. I'm a great father to my girls. I can tell her I'm a much better man than when 2018 started. And that's probably up for debate. She's watching online from home right now. I'm sure she's laughing because 
It's rough at home sometimes with small kids, as you know. But I could say all those things, but until she acknowledges it and sees it for herself, my words mean nothing. My words mean nothing to her. And so you know change that's taking place when people see it and they start calling out the good in you. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus as we study the Gospels and his earthly ministry. He obviously didn't need to make any faith changes or have any character issues to work on because he was the perfect son of God. But he knew who he was. He knew his identity. But he often let other people speak that identity out vocally in front of him and in front of crowds. And so that's kind of an interesting concept to think about. So I want to propose a question to you guys and get a little bit of feedback. So we know that the term he mostly used for himself is son of man, while others mostly called him the son of God. So here's my question. Why do you think Jesus allowed other people to speak his identity so often? Think about that. Why do you think Jesus allowed other people to speak his identity so often? So the floor is open. Just raise your hand if you got some thoughts. Why do you think he allowed that to happen so often? It's an interesting question. Anybody? Yes, Bob. <laughs> hey. That's good. Yeah, he's saying just because you have a title doesn't mean that you've gained the trust or respect from people. But when people willingly submit to you and they call out good in you, then you know they're going to be willing to receive that. Good. Any, what else? <clears throat> it's an interesting question. Yes. Oh, Kelsey. That's good. So she's saying that, you know, Jesus knew his mission, so maybe him allowing them to call out his identity so much would give them kind of the practice, if you will, to, you know, carry that on way past the time, you know, when he ascended back to heaven. One more. Rich. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. When people recognize his identity themselves, then it's way more powerful than, yeah, exactly him walking around saying, I'm God's son, so worship me. Right? Good. Good stuff. You know, as we had um, 
you know, uh, previously discussed, one of the greatest testaments to Jesus being the Son of God obviously came from the Father himself. We know when he was baptized by John the Baptist, it says the heavens opened and a voice came down from heaven that said, this is my Son whom I love, in him I am well pleased. And this is interesting. You know, he was not only the Son of God because God said he was. That was a huge part of it, of course. But he was also God's Son by what he did. Think about it. Jesus did divine things that only God could do. We looked at a story a little bit ago that shows we know that Jesus had the power to control the weather. There are several accounts in the New Testament where he was able to calm a raging storm that presented danger to fishermen who were in their boats. There are stories of how everyone that physically touched Jesus um, were healed of their sickness and diseases. He cast out demons from people who were under the power of Satan and literally raised people from the dead. He granted authority to his disciples to cast out demons themselves and heal the sick and the lame. Jesus forgave others of their sins. He was able to predict the future. He knew, he predicted that Judas would betray him and that Peter would deny him three times. And let's not forget that he was brutally murdered and rose again in complete and total victory. Those are just a few examples that show that he is the Son of God. He is God. There's no question about it. And even though none of us here are God, we're probably not going to be controlling the weather tonight. You're probably not going to be raising someone from the dead tomorrow. On Christmas Eve, if that is in your agenda, holler. I, I, I want to come witness that. That would be rad. But the same principle, the same principle goes for him as it goes for us. I know obviously we're not God, but the principle is this. A tree is known by its fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. Jesus' life and actions showed the world that he was indeed the Son of God. Our life and actions should show people around us that we are a new creation. That we are sons and daughters of God. We can claim that God has transformed our life every single day. But until people see it for themselves, until they recognize fruit coming from our lives, in many ways our words are empty and meaningless. Check out what Jesus says here. Yeah, John fifteen sixteen. So Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So I'm going to kind of just throw out some questions for you guys just to chew on. When people look at your life, this is between you and God, when people look at your life, is there evidence to them that you are living out your identity as a son or daughter of God? Is there evidence? When people interact with you at work, on your team, in your class, at home, do your words and actions um, point them to Jesus? Is there fruit that helps them to see Jesus? Does the love, joy, and peace of God ooze from your life? When people spend time with you, do they get a glimpse into the heart of God? And I want to give you guys just a personal example of this happening in my life. One of my um, jobs here at Wellspring is kind of helping oversee 
small groups, small group ministry. And so from time to time, I like to try to uh, just check in on some of our small group leaders to see how they're doing and offer any encouragement or help or support that I can. And one of those small group leaders is Monica Storr. She has no idea I'm going to talk about her, so hopefully this is okay. Um, Every single time I've called Monica, I can tell you guys that I'm probably the one more blessed by that conversation by far than I'm a blessing to her. Because if any one of you know Monica, you know that there is just a peaceful spirit about her and the way that she lives and the way that she communicates with people. And every time I end a phone conversation with her, I mean, I feel like a weight has been lifted. And we're just talking about small groups. I mean, I just feel more at peace with my life and just what's going on around me. And I'm able just to kind of calm down. And that is just fruit from her life. That is fruit that I've experienced and many of you have as well that is a blessing and encouragement um, to anyone that comes in contact with her. So thank you, Monica. Um, Guys, as we near the end of this Advent season, we need to take a moment. Christmas is basically here. we got a day or two left. We need to take a moment and reflect on what all of this means for us in relation to how we participate in this Christmas story. The word Advent means arrival, and particularly the arrival of someone significant. And we just spent the last four weeks laying out in great detail the greatness of that significant one, the glorious, perfect, all-powerful Son of God, humbled himself and came to us and entered into this mess that we call humanity. He became a man so that he could fully relate to us and we to him. And I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I'm in a season of my life right now where every day can feel like survival, okay? I have a two-year-old and a newborn at home, and it is exhausting, any of you guys with small kids, whether you got one or ten kids, you know what I'm talking about. It can be exhausting. And I'm, it's a challenge for me to emotionally connect with what we've been talking about in the midst of just kind of the chaos and de- the demands of screaming kids and just the demands of what children bring um, upon parents. And so I get that struggle. I've talked with some of you this week, and you've said the same thing. I don't even, I don't even have time to connect. Like, how do I do that? So I'll, I get that, but I also want to be real with you guys um, with a little bit of what I'm learning, and hopefully it can help us just be better participants in this season as we understand um, Jesus' identity. So what does the truth about the identity of Jesus Christ ask of us? What does it ask of us? How should we respond If he is who he says he is, then what does that mean? Well, for me, it means a couple of things. As I reflected on Jesus being fully man, it fills me with confidence in knowing that there is nothing that I'm going to experience that he himself did not experience. No matter what it is, betrayal from a closest friend, loss, or even death itself, He has experienced anything that I'm going to encounter. And guys, that is reassuring. And that is so comforting that he can fully relate to my human condition. And when I reflect on Jesus being fully God, it not only humbles me, but it fills me with gratitude in knowing that 
despite of all my flaws and sin and brokenness and mistakes, he still chooses as the perfect son of God to love and accept me. And that fills me with joy, guys. Man. And so for me, in the midst of my reality, my default, maybe this is some of you, is just to escape a lot. Escape on my phone or a tablet or any way just to get away from the chaos or the responsibilities. And so rather than doing that, what God is trying to teach me when I'm willing to listen this season, he's, he's telling me to slow down, to be still, to reflect on his identity, and to be filled with joy because he has come. Indeed, the Lord has come. He is here with us right now in this moment. And not only should that fill us, fill me with joy, guys, but it should humble us. And like the song, O Holy Night, says that we're going to sing tomorrow night, it should make us fall on our knees in worship and adoration of his greatness and his majesty. So yes, spend time with family and loved ones this Christmas, okay? Exchange some gifts, but let those things be secondary. Let them be secondary. Let your primary pursuit be creating some space in your life to reflect on Jesus' identity so that we might be filled with joy and so that we could echo the words of Mary when she said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. We cannot rejoice in him if we don't have room for him in our hearts, in our minds. We can, it's impossible, Okay? So let's shift our focus away from consuming and accumulating this season so that we can make room in our hearts for him to rule and reign. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are so good.